You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, and co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner, mortgage broker, and wealth coach. And together, we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. In this episode, we're going to do a deep dive into the Labor Party's negative gearing policy what we can expect in terms of the impact on the property market, both the intended and unintended consequences and what that means for the property market more generally. We'll be referring back to many episodes and all the experts we've spoken to because they've done a lot of research in this area and we need to talk about it. This is a really emotive issue and largely because it's so misunderstood. Labor seems to think that it's a vote winner and they're using it to put the blame for housing affordability on fat cat property investors. But there is always more to the story and always more at stake. And we've been so privileged to have extremely well-informed guests and we're absolutely thrilled to be able to share their insights with you. And before we go on, I just want to mention that the feedback we've had from you listeners has been incredible. It's not called the elephant in the room for nothing. You really are saying that this is the stuff that nobody talks about. Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. I think the the first thing we need to talk about is the thinking that comes in to banning negative gearing and the property market because it is expensive and we have got a lot of people that you know haven't got into the property market that would love to get into the property market but I think it's a it is a big myth that the reason prices are expensive is because it's all because of cashed up property investors pushing out first home buyers. The big thing with the property market is it's, it is a massively emotional issue and I can understand where you know a lot of kind of first home buyers a lot of you know, parents who want to get their kids into the property market, a lot of grandparents, you know, they all want you know, everyone to have a, a chance at home ownership. And I can understand where that thinking comes from. My biggest worry with this negative gearing debate is that it's losing a lot of the focus from what we're trying to achieve is help, you know, first home buyers. And you know, if we just get rid of banning negative gearing, it'll really give them what they really want. And so I understand where the, the issue comes, but I think there's a lot of unintended consequences that we need to talk about through this podcast and that, that can actually expose, well, maybe it's not actually going to give what, you know, Gen Y really want and that's home ownership. Yeah. And I think too that it's populist and it's simplifying something that is actually very complex. And I think picking one element of um, the whole taxation structure, I guess, or, or the whole setup and picking one element of it to focus on as a vote winner is extremely dangerous because as I said, there's more to it and the consequences are huge. The problem with negative gearing is like anything, if you actually abuse it to the nth degree, well, it fails to actually fundamentally do what it needs to do, right? So the idea with negative gearing is it allows people a tax break so that they can take that initial uh, cash flow loss that they're going to get if they buy a quality asset over the first few years until it becomes positive um, cash flow or cash flow neutral at least, right? So there's there's some assistance from the government for investors. And the reality is we do need rental stock. We do need um, to have investors provide rental accommodation for people that either can't afford to buy or don't want to buy or, or are temporarily in an area or new in an area or whatever. The reality is there's a demand for it. There's a mm. need for it. And so individual investors have been, have been providing that stock. Um, and so that's something that needs to be applauded really. But the thing is that it could be abused. And I think it has been abused, but are the sort of people that have been abusing it, to be quite frank, you know, that quantity versus quality type of mentality around buying as many, many properties as you can is really, it's an unsophisticated investor that would do that. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the what they APRA has done and they've, they've really been quite smart with this, I think is, you know, while the boom was happening, they could see that people would over gearing and taking out too much debt and basically abusing negative gearing. And these are the people that, you know, we, we don't really want to, you know, basically be doing that. You know, I don't think it's fair that someone is earning, you know, $300,000 a year and can go and borrow three, $4 million from the bank, you know, and basically that's what you could do, you know, a few years ago. And so what APRA did do is they slowed the banks down. They said, look, this is, we need to really change the way you lend money and the, the calculators. And 
you know, these big investors that just keep on gearing, we want to slow them down. It's happened. And it's, it's, you can now probably borrow, you know, 40% less. So, you know, these, these people going abusing negative gearing and borrowing, you know, enormous amounts of money, um, it just can't do it in the current lending environment. So, so you the know, job's been done. Is that what you're saying? Basically, yeah. So you know, you, you can't actually just go and buy another investment property. You've hit your yep. cap, and so the pe- and then that means you can't keep on negative gearing. And I think that you know the one of the benefits of I guess removing negative gearing is stopping those big property investors. But what you actually want to do though is still encourage investment. And by removing it completely, is you're saying, look, it's just not worthwhile to invest at all mm. because investors will say, well, I can't afford to run that loss. And some of the people that we've interviewed actually suggest that there are better ways for the government, whoever that may end up being after the election, to actually address negative gearing that can still take away the ability for for it to be abused by those who still can get finance and also actually still allow mum and dad investors and individual investors to help provide rental stock. So, because, you know, I think what we have to recognise is that the political message that's going out there at the moment is that this only targets high net worth in individuals. You know, the battlers, they'll, they'll be able to go and buy something brand new so you don't worry about them. And I'm, and I'm like, absolutely terrified, really, for the battlers that go and do that. But the reality is that high net worth individuals will still want to create wealth mm. and they'll still be able to create wealth because they're earning a lot of money, right? And they will just look elsewhere to invest. So if they won't be investing in property necessarily, they have other opportunities that they can avail themselves of. The real people who will actually hurt the most, I think, are those that actually need negative gearing in order to be able to afford to invest in property. And I think most good assets investing in property, you know, you're not, you know, they're already good assets, right? So they're already priced at a point where, you know, the rent isn't going to cover all your bills. You know, if you want to go and buy, you know, a good little inner ring house or a good little apartment, like the good investments, the whole reason why you invest in property, yep. um, you know, you're not going to be able to afford to do that if um, you don't get the negative gearing yep. benefits. So, yep. you know, I guess fundamentally the smartest thing you can do to, to cut out investors is to cut their borrowing capacity. And secondly, to- Which has been done. Which has been done. And then finally to target those big investors that are, accumulating big portfolios and allow them to basically not refinance their interest only loans. And so that's going to happen as well. So, you know, the two things to, to slow down investors and, and limit people buying too many properties to cut their invest their, their loan size and to cut their um, interest only loans. So that, that's, that's happening and that will happen. Well, you know, the other thing is actually going to impact on first home buyers who have been using negative gearing in order to rent vest and actually get onto the property ladder. And this has not been discussed. You know, these buyers will now be shunted to new builds, which is the riskiest segment of the market and will perform even worse than they have over the past decade when there actually has been the existence of a secondary market. Because, of course, what's going to happen now is that if investors can only buy brand new and get negative gearing, who, and we'll talk about this a bit further in this episode, who is going to be buying them when they're secondhand? The thing that we need to think about is, is it going to happen? And I guess it is looking, you know, quite likely that you know, Labor are going to win the election. I mean, if you look at where the money's going, I mean, that's always a good point to look at. Is you know, a Labor a dollar twelve to win the election? You mean the betting odds? The betting odds, yeah. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, and Liberals are $5. So if you want to bet on the election next year, you know, it's five to one on the Liberals winning, which is, which is crazy. So, um, it's likely that Labor are going to win. It's going to be a, probably a landslide. So they might not be able to get the, the policy through, but you know, from what I've been reading and I, you know, they're not going to back down from this policy, but you know, just recently they are talking about potentially delaying it. So, you know, it's, it's looking likely. And so it's a risk that we do need to talk about and we do need to, you know, really think through because if it does happen, it is going to have an enormous impact on the property market as a whole. Which is a bit scary because, of course, the, you know, APRA and the, and the Royal Commission has already had a massive impact on the property market by slowing it down and really just taking taking a lion's share of new investors out of the market anyway. Um, so I think, you know, as I said, we've got some, we've got some, interesting snippets from our episodes coming up where you hear some theories about what will happen to the market as we go. I think the reality is that um, inner areas will be a lot safer than outer areas. And I think you've always got to be thinking about this secondary market. When you've got buyers, when you've got areas and types of property that have been traditionally targeted largely at investors, and then you've got a whole owner-occupier market that's not interested in that stock. 
And the investors are no longer going to be incentivized to buy them because they don't get negative gearing on it because it's existing. Then there's an entire massive segment of the market that is going to fall into a hole. Yeah, and it really is the high-rise market. Now, I guess when people think what I'm talking uh, about negative gearing, they might, oh, you know, he really wants to keep it, et cetera, like that. I guess, you know, the what I'm really, and it's all my investors, all my clients are going to get really impacted by it. It's not really the case. I'm not actually worried about any of my clients because the, the real kind of worry kind of for the investors is all the investors that didn't know what they were doing that were sold the dream through kind of property spruikers and that bought high-rise apartments. And I bought them, you know, even if they bought them anywhere from 2013 to 2018, you know, are going to lose a lot of money. And it's these areas, and it's pretty easy to figure out what areas would be in trouble because you can go online, you can look at the ABS, you can look at RP data or any type of, and you can see what areas have maybe 70, 80, 90% of the apartments are owned by investors. And when you look at the numbers in those areas and you look at what they can get for rent and what the current price is and the strata costs, most of these properties are running big losses. And so if the change does happen, these apartments won't be worth what they're worth today because no investor would pay current prices. And this has already played out in, in Melbourne and Brisbane in particular anyway. There's, there's a lot of data around that shows and supports the fact that a large percentage, and, and you could has it around about 50% at least, is worth less today than it was bought for if it's been bought within the last 10 years. So that is just going to continue. There's going to be no light at the end of the tunnel for those people that already own those properties. And one of my biggest fears here is that it will encourage unsophisticated investors to continue to buy that sort of poor quality asset and they will be trapped financially because with no secondary market and there, you know there is no buyer for it so the idea being with negative gearing unless you get capital growth there is no point losing money on tax you know getting a bit of a tax return there is no point the whole point of negative gearing is because you're investing for capital growth labor's policy basically wants to encourage investors to only buy brand new which we already know without this problem is highly risky and you've got more than odds on chance of losing money. You are definitely going to lose money. There is not going to be any capital growth because there is no secondary market. And in fact, this two-tiered market has already been created to a certain extent. And we discussed it with Tyron Hyde in episode 15. I'd love to just get your kind of your view on new versus old and from an investment point of view. You know, I know that a lot of what you do is help new property purchases claim the most appreciation and I get all that. But just on a personal level, you know, what's your view on buying established versus new and what's your preference, I guess? Um, The question, uh, I'd say firstly, based upon the new tax laws, it is now undeniable that brand new property has greater cash flow than a secondhand property. It cannot mathematically be argued. Does not make it a better investment, but mathematically, if you were to buy in the same development and you buy a brand new property versus one that's next door that's selling that's one year old and you're getting the same rent, promo the same levies, it is undeniable that a brand new property has a greater cash flow than the, the one year old one, which I think stinks, mm-hmm. right? I think it stinks that the government has said, even though that the effective, you can no longer claim depreciation on the plant equipment in secondhand properties, it makes new property look more attractive and there's more scrupulous people in new property selling it. And so it can push people down the, the, the aisle where they shouldn't be going, you know, come in spinner to a certain mm. degree, uh, which well, I don't agree with. And they've done it before. They've done it before with first home buy grants. Well, yeah. if, 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 if they change the negative gearing laws to only be new property as well, mm. let's think about that for people that will be losing their hard earned, you know. I mean, yeah. that's stitching up your first home buyers. It's stitching up the young economy. Yeah. Yep. And the mums and dad investors as well, throwing yeah. more under the bus I'd say, for the sake I'd of the say more, uh, I'd actually say uh, <laughs> more uh, retirees or, or mm. people in the super fund, people getting their money out of super, getting a uh, planner who's going to take $40,000 clip along the way, putting them into a, a brand new property, saying you get all, you still get the depreciation and you can still negative gear it. When the, the problem is then when they go to sell that one-year-old property or that two-year-old property, they're now competing with the property in the same development, perhaps, that has the brand-new shiny allowances, Yeah. right? And the problem is no one – I'm not saying no one knows this has happened, but not many people. At, my, at the Property Expo in Brisbane, I asked as I had an audience of 100, which, you know, was pretty small for uh, me these days. I don't know. <laughs> but I had an audience of 100. I put my hand up and said, how many of you know these new depreciation laws? Five people. 
had mm. heard of it, right? Now, this is people that are a property expo that are passionate people about property and only five of them have heard it. So mm. this is our experience at the moment. Not many people are aware of this, um, of the changes, So, which I, is a bit of a worry. I think that's it's such a good point. Depreciation is so technical and there's all these kind of nuances in it. Mm. I mean, that's the big problem, right? You buy the new property and you get the depreciation. Mm. Mm. Then at some point you want to sell it. Mm. And then other investors are saying, well, I won't buy that because there's not very good depreciation in that's that. That's right. I might as well way. buy the new property. Correct. And so very quickly you go from a very high demand market where everyone's trying to get this depreciation mm. and then you go put it on the market and then no one wants it because it's got no depreciation. That's, it's right. And that's like when you buy a brand new property, the developer has a full page ad, right, with a sexy couple by the pool. Right, you got to sell yours. You're you're in the old days. You're not online so much, but you're you're like down down on page seventy nine with three lines trying to compete with the developer who's got a marketing budget of hundred grand. It makes it hard, right? So really, the most vulnerable people are actually going to be the most affected by this policy. Yeah, I think Labor would love to say that if we do introduce this new policy, we're going to create a construction boom because all investors are going to go and basically build all these new apartments, and we're going to create all this housing stock. I think what's going to unfortunately happen though is that in those areas where they want to build this stock and they want to build it in areas where there's other high rises because they don't want to be building this in kind of established suburbs, um, you know, and they won't get through council and no one wants to build, you know, lots of new apartments in, you know, premium suburbs or houses where there's lots of houses. So they're going to want to keep building these where they're building other apartments. And, you know, if those apartments fall in value because new investors don't want to pay what they're currently worth. Um, the construction industry won't be able to sell the new ones for these premium prices because investors won't be that that stupid. They'll say, well, you know, I'm not going to pay a million dollars for this two-bedroom apartment in Rosebury if if I have to sell it for 700000 And so the developer would only be able to price that apartment, you know, much lower, and then they're not going to make a profit, uh, and then the developer won't build it because they're not going to make money. So the only reason why we're having this construction boom right now is because the price of these apartments is really expensive, which means that the developers make lots of profits, which means that the, the whole system can keep going. And, you know, even if though you get the negative gearing benefits, you know, it doesn't mean that you're going to go and want to lose $200,000 on the purchase price. So, you know, the other thing I guess with that is, is that if you do see a collapse in prices, the further the prices fall, the, the actual smaller that your negative gearing benefits get anyway. And so these apartments will start to get to close to positively geared anyway. So people will go, well, there's no point even buying for negative gear because I could get a positively geared anyway. <laughs> so it's, um, it's, it's kind of a bit counterintuitive here that, you know, investors aren't going to be that silly and just fall for the trick, even if Labor want them to. Well, I hope they won't be that silly. But Ben Kingsley actually talks about that in episode 32. And according to him, the Labor Party have backed themselves into a corner with this policy by making preference deals with the Greens so they get voted in. And, you know, he said it's a vote winner. You know, the message is that greedy property investors deserve to have their benefits cut. But the reality is that 73% of property investors only hold one property. So, you know... This affordability story is a con because it will affect property prices everywhere other than in the areas of Sydney and Melbourne, the inner areas of Sydney and Melbourne. And, you know, Ben puts forward a very good case that those areas will remain expensive. Well, the number crunches have done, you know, whether it's politically palatable and it, it's a winner. It's a vote winner because people don't understand the consequences, right? Oh, yeah. So that, you know, where do, where do governments often tweak policy? They, they tweak policy in superannuation, stuff that doesn't affect people now. Yeah. And now Labor's done a good job of talking about greedy property investors, mm -hmm. right? And, oh, I mean, I got a letter from Bill. I'm in his... I'm one of his constituents and he's local, uh, local he's my local member, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> and he talked about, you know, the letter that he sent to me was about these greedy property investors who have seven, seven or eight properties. Yeah. And I'm like, they don't all have seven or eight. In fact, 73% of them only have one. Yeah. So, and they're not all, you know, super mega rich people. Now, they're, they're sort of saying this is a vote winner in, in, in terms of it's easy to sell because yeah. it's only on existing property, right? So they're going to ban it on existing property. So everyone thinks that, well, that's got to be good. Like all the academics think it actually works, right? You know, because it means that everyone's going to, you know, there's still going to be construction boom. You know, people are still going to buy these properties. And they and do so believe the answer to affordability, and they keep saying this, yeah. is supply. 
All the academics and the and the politicians keep saying this, and I go, oh my god, don't you get it? You have got an oversupply issue. Sorry, I just jumped in there, yeah, but yeah, no, you got oversupply it. issue. You got shitloads of apartments that nobody lives in in Melbourne. You got shitloads of apartments that nobody lives in in Brisbane, and probably elsewhere in the country. More coming in Sydney, I think too. Yep. The fact that they build them and that there's a demand elsewhere, they don't. The two things don't go together. No, they don't. I mean, it's obviously they, they did get enough supply coming into the system to affect prices, mm. right? So even in, in the construction boom for house and land packages, now we're seeing, you know, I caught up with a person at one of those expos and they were talking about how diabolical it is out wide selling land subdivisions. Like, Yeah, but is that is because... The ma- oh, they are. Like, they've had their best time ever, but it's the worst conditions in the last 26 years, right? It's literally... Overnight, 20, 30% drops in value. But that is because, isn't it, that the investor dollar, there's so much investor activity buying property out there. Speculation, and now those, those yeah. investors can't get their funds. It's a combination, right? Investors don't, other than mining towns, silly investors who go into mining mm. towns, it is a combination of the two. So we could we could be at an auction tomorrow and we might have three investors there, but there still might be two owner-occupiers. Mm. You drop those three investors out, yeah. there's still two owner-occupiers yes. who are setting the market price exactly. for that asset. Yeah. So it's... It's very rare that you just get 100% investors going at assets. So, so we're not. Well, you've you know, got those mining towns, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the mining towns. <laughs> are, All the office land apartments are probably ninety-five sometimes. Yeah, 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 yeah that's true. Mm. But I mean, you know, if you call them investments, I mean, let, let's face it, they're not very smart people who are making mm, those decisions. No. So, coming back to the stuff yes. that, that that drives affordability, and that story is, you know, the the younger generation do want to live closer. You know, yeah. they they want everything now, right? luck to them. And so they don't like the idea that they won't have the lifestyle if they have to move an hour and a half out of the yep. city. So it, it does come back to that story in terms of negative gearing. The problem in my view is that negative gearing will affect all property prices except except land values closer into the city. Now, the Labor think they're on a winner against the Greens here because what they're fruking in their, you know, in their um, town hall grassroots type approach to getting out into the community is they're going to these meetings and saying, here's what we're doing about negative gearing and it's going to make property prices cheaper in Northcote. It's going to make property prices cheaper in Redfern. It's going to make property prices cheaper in all of the inner west of Sydney. It ain't, right? What's going to happen is it's going to turn the buyer interest into a different way. So land banking will be a real thing, right? So um, what you're going to find is houses... Uh, the land under those houses will be worth a fortune to then knock that house down and build townhouses or build a duplex, right? Because once I do that, I'm going to get negative gearing benefits on both of those duplexes. So unfortunately, the consequences are higher prices closer into the city for the land, unit prices tumbling mm-hmm. because even when when you've got Mervac and everyone else, who they, you know, you'd think the government would or the opposition would be saying, well, they'll love it because it's going to drive all the investors to buy. They're saying it's the stupidest thing we've ever heard because the secondary market will be dead. Oh, exactly. The secondary, <laughs> market, the secondary market is going to die. So oh. I feel for all of the people who are owner-occupiers who have just spent their last five years saving an $80,000 deposit to buy that house and land package, set up their great Australian dream, and they're going to be sitting on a property not going to grow in value for five, maybe 10 years or so minimal. And then once they work out the interest that they've just paid on that, being better off renting and putting their money into shares. So that is the danger with this type of policy. They're playing with fire. No one, you know, their modelling is done so broadly that there's only sort of numbers on the fringes that the academics think it's not going to have a big impact. But they aren't, That what they do in those models they don't change buyer behaviour. That's yeah. the point. They haven't so, factored into correct. how human beings react to this stuff. Correct. It, it's, so you know we will gets, change strategies. You know what's great though? I think first home buyers, they're going to have a great opportunity to pick up all those bargain basement apartments. <laughs> but will they want to live there? You know, no, like, they I mean, they can only buy one, right? And, yeah, yeah. And so exactly, joke, yeah. I am joking, right? It's not my advice. No. <laughs> so that's the challenge. So it's, it's, it's poorly crafted policy. What would have been better policy is to actually look at, you know, maybe a tiered structure yep. on how many properties you own yes. and then having a, a reduction in terms of the negative gearing benefit. Yep. And that would have been great too because that would have been a disincentive for all those spruikers pumping out, going, you've got to get by 10 properties yeah, plus. So it would correct. have been, had a double benefit. Yeah, and then there's the, opportunity you know, there. the capital gains exemptions, mm. right? So they're, they're putting in a, you know, basically no longer a 50% concession, yep. yeah. goes down to 25. Now, again, we'd be saying... 
Look, over the long term, the 50% sort of is fair and reasonable if you're going to hold the asset for 20, 30 years. But here's a better idea. Why not in year one and two to stop the speculators, make it zero? So if you flip the asset, make that one zero. You have to be commercially minded to come up with those sorts of ideas. <laughs> well, right? no, what you've got to do is reach out to the professionals who know the yes. industry yeah. and consult. consult with us. You know, <laughs> we're here to consult. We're yeah, here that to government. Because we're, we're happy to listen oh. to that story. I guess the biggest irony of the whole negative gearing policy is we want to help kind of first home buyers kind of enter the market. And, and they what they really want is, you know, they may not want it now, but in five years time, they want that kind of home. They want that house. We are quite vocal on this in the property investors and they all just think our oh, property investors want to self-serve their interests. But I do think that, you know, the wish that the government would consult some industry professionals would look at this data and go keep going deeper in data and looking within the markets and within markets and look at where the policy would really affect the most and what can they do to help. And, you know, and I think that's what it's all get lost because it's like, if we do this, you know, change across the whole market, it, it kind of makes it a fair kind of playing field for everyone. I don't think that's really the case. Well, I think it just shows a lack of understanding of all the interlinked components in the property industry or in the property market. And, and you know, I remember back to Tyron Hyde and he talked about this property Dumbo in that episode was, was the government yep. for not consulting with industry around, and this is the Liberal government here, around the changes to depreciation in the main 2017 budget and they made a show of consulting and in fact the state governments have been accused of doing this as well on their on their tenancy law changes and they make a show of consulting with industry and then they just mm. go well thanks for that and they and they waste everyone's time and energy putting together proposals and and other alternatives and etc cetera, etc cetera. and they go and just enact whatever policy they've already got drafted so you know i think this is something that's a real big issue because you know the property market in Australia is the single biggest, what's a $7 trillion asset? Well, maybe you can wipe 10% off that now. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. But, you know, that's a, that's a shitload of, of money and that's basically our, our individual wealth is tied up in this. It's of major importance for those who already own property, not just the first home buyers trying to get into the market. This mm. is who already own property mm. and, and the government needs to take that a bit more seriously, I think. Yeah, I guess my worry or my conspiracy with the whole negative gearing debate is that, you know, I'm not seeing any kind of common sense with this policy kind of come through and I no real industry kind of feedback and it's just, you know, we're just going to go ahead, going to go ahead with it. And I, I wonder if it is just literally trying to win votes and then when they do get into power, um, they start to release a report that says, look, you know, it's not a great time to do it right now. We're already having a credit crisis. Prices are already falling. <laughs> you know, first home buyers are actually at the highest level now after, you know, in six years. So first home buyers are happy again. Um, you know, and I, I kind of do wonder that, you know, they'll say they'll blame the Senate or they'll, we can't get it through or something and it just won't happen. It'll get delayed. And I think they'll, they won't really care because they're in power anyway. Um, so I'm hoping that's what happens, but there is a risk <laughs> now that, you know, it does get through. And I, I guess, you know, the goal of negative gearing is to kind of help first home buyers and first home buyers really... You mean the goal of removing it? Well, removing yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. The removing negative gearing is to get more people into home ownership. And, um, you know, if everyone wanted to go and own a one or a two bedroom apartment and first home buyers wanted to own them, um, this would be a great policy because what it would do is crash the price of apartments um, and allow them to go and buy apartments. But unfortunately, you know, first home buyers, they want homes, they want houses, they want, you know, three, four bed apartments and, and there's just not enough of them. And so, you know, and these aren't, these properties aren't really owned by investors anyway, they're owned by owner occupiers. And, um, even if they are owned by investors, these properties in these inner rings and these good properties have gone up in value. And so investors in those areas are not going to sell because one, they won't get the CGT discount again, if they, if they do sell. So they go, well, if I if I sell this and buy another investment, I'm going to have to pay more tax on that. So oh, yeah, keep... we haven't even talked about the CGT discount. This is purely just a negative gearing piece of it. But yeah. yeah, reducing the amount of uh, re reducing the discount for capital gains tax is what we're talking about here. So that currently you have to pay capital gains tax at your marginal rate um, on fifty percent of your gain as long as you've had that property for more than twelve months. Whereas they're proposing that that's going to go down to discount down to 25%, right? So you're going to have to pay on 75% of the gain. Yeah. So what I, I guess my fear is that if, if there was investors who had good property that families would love to own in the inner rings, mm. which is causing 
prices in those areas to go up and you know, we would like them to go onto the market and a home buyer can buy them, right? So the incentive for them to sell is going to be diminished. Well, they won't yeah. sell because, you know, they would have done really well out of the property because it's a good asset and they know they're going to pay capital gains tax, which isn't as much. But if they have to reinvest that money somewhere, they're going to potentially pay more capital gains tax. Yeah. So, you know, and people hate paying tax. So, you know, people will hold on to that property, even if it may, may not make sense in this situation, just to avoid paying more CGT on first property on, on future properties. So I think that, you know, really what's not going to happen is the properties that first home buyers really want, you know, the homes in good suburbs, near train stations that, you know, are near schools, they're the last properties that are going to fall in value. And the properties that are going to fall in value are the ones that are bought by investors, which is not really what first home buyers really want. Or they don't really want them long term. They really yep. they only want them maybe for a couple of years while they're single or they've and got a young couple. that won't work anyway because then they're going to be no growth in it. So they won't be able to leverage from that into upgrading into a home anyway. So it won't do the job. And I think, too, if it's meant to actually deliver tax savings to the Labor government, then Noel Whitaker makes the point in episode 45 that it's the ultimate in short-termism. I mean, he's, you know, look, I can't remember the exact figures, so bear with me here. But, you know, if the average investment takes, say, five years to become cash flow neutral, they might cost the Aussie taxpayer around 25 grand, which in itself is an investment by the government because that person is working towards being a self-funded retiree. And the number crunchers have actually calculated that the true cost of a pensioner is something to the tune of $800,000. And this is a really poor trade-off if you look at those figures because it's basically saying that I'm going to grab back 25 grand, but fundamentally it's going to cost the taxpayer in terms of the actual cost of having a pensioner is a $775,000 difference. I'm going to get back 25 grand, so I'm going to forfeit $775,000. Doesn't add up. Yeah, and it's you know, that's just the one side of it, right? They're gonna, you know, when they go negative gearing, it goes to positively geared. So then they start paying income tax on it. Mm. You know, if they sell it, they pay capital gains tax. If it's an investment, they get land tax. Um, there's lots so they, of hopefully, if they've done well, pay back more than the twenty five grand they might have saved. Oh, <laughs> very quickly, and that's the thing. You know, the government it might be a short term loss for the government from a tax point of view. But they also saves them building social housing. It saves them building, yeah. um, you know, housing for renters. It allows the government to keep growing our population. And think about all the money that governments make off, you know, university students from overseas, you know, tourism, you know, even things like Airbnb, you know, you've got um, Britain, you know, our migration are bringing in top talent, you know, from all over the world, you know, all these sort of things. You know, the government makes so much money by having the housing here. And so we need the investors to do that and unless they're going to provide it. So, so <laughs> I think the whole tax saving thing, it just doesn't really work. And, um, the, the, you know, it's, it's kind of missing the point. You know, Pete Wargen has done a lot of research in this area and produced a report with RiskWise, which contains warnings for Labor about the consequences of pushing forward with this policy. And we discussed this with him in episode 24, and he makes a case for less of a sledgehammer approach and along with the lines of what Ben Kingsley has also suggested. <laughs> Interesting times ahead, I think, with an election coming up. Just well, on that while you're there, what's that, you know, have you spoke to much of the, the opposition around it or have they, you know, are they starting to actually think about things a little bit more clearly around negative gearing? Um, I think, um, it's, uh, I don't know what they're discussing internally. I think, um, you know, la- I think Labor's, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a political person. I think Labor's argument would be that what they're looking to do in the housing market is a multi-generational change. So if there's some short-term pain, then that's worth doing. That's their, their outlook. Um, I, you know, I tend to, I mean, I work in real estate, so I guess I'm a vested interest from that perspective. I, I personally think that a better strategy might be if you're going to look at making changes to do them gradually. You know, it's a long time mm-hmm. since I did my tax exams, but that's one thing that I learned uh, back in accounting school 25 years ago. You know, the tax uh, the tax system is not perfect, but, but it's evolved over such a long period yeah. of time. It's mm-hmm. easier to make yeah. incremental changes than great big sweeping shifts. So in that way, maybe put a limit on negative gearing and then slowly over time reduce that limit. Or the capital gains tax. You know, yeah. you don't have to just go in there hard uh, on day one. You can wind back. The, yeah. yeah, that's right. I mean, if if that's what you were looking to do, uh, then you can make an incremental change. But uh, I think um, what hasn't really been thought through, and um, you already mentioned it, is what happens with the, you're, you're going to create a, a real two-tier market yeah. between new and established apartments in particular. Yeah. 
And um, I think you might find that actually there's some um, sort of unintended outcomes from that. And one of those outcomes I believe will be it'll push people away from building an investment portfolio to prioritizing home ownership. And so instead of owning, you know, a smaller house and three investment properties, I'm just going to own a really nice house that's growing for me mm. tax-free. And then that's going to then just completely destroy what people wanted anyway was a better, fairer housing market for families. And um, so, you know, it, it's, you know, that's, it's kind of, yeah, it's going to flip mm. it the other way, I think. What worries me is it just going to be more spookers out there pushing new stock. Oh, there will be, no question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, when you're making big reform, I guess the – the goal isn't just to kind of put it out there and see what happens. You know, the markets, you know, are, are quite dangerous when you do things like that because you never know how they're going to react. And the human element with this change is we just don't know, you know, if you completely, you know, kill investor confidence, you're going to basically kill the investor market. And so what would make a lot more sense is to actually do it in stages, um, you know, bring a cap in. Maybe it's, 50, you know, starts at $25,000 a year of deductions and then you maybe reduce it down to 20000 and then you maybe reduce it down to fifty. But you know, that's kind of what I would personally do. I was I'd put a cap on negative gearing. It may be ten, twenty thousand dollars a year, rather than just completely saying no more negative gearing. Yes. Yeah, so there are more sensible approaches, but of course they're not as sensational. And you know, and the way that our politics are these days, we need three word slogans for everything. <laughs> it's really difficult to get all that complexity into a three word slogan. But you know, I think really one of the enormous elephants in the room with regards to this whole policy is what happens when somebody wants to sell one of these brand new properties that they bought um, because they could get negative gearing, who is going to want to buy it? The irony of it, of everything is that, you know, the wealthy will always get advice, will always be thinking things through. And, you know, the problem with superannuation as an example is people who knew how to use the superannuation rules basically took advantage of it for 25 years and pumped in as much money as they could. And, you know, the wealthy are the biggest benefits out of those rules. And, you know, they're starting to wind it back and, and make changes there. But with the negative gearing thing is the wealthy, you know, let's say you've got a million dollar share portfolio, that's going to provide you an income. And the problem with Labor's policy is that they can use that income to offset other investment losses. And so what they will do is, you know, let's say they've got negative gearing, you know, 20 property or 20 properties, let's say, as long as they've got income for, uh, from other investments, they can offset that loss against that income and not pay tax on that income that they were going to gain. So they're, in fact, they're actually using negative gearing because they've got the other investment income to offset it. Oh, well, I think that's important too, because the reality is that negative gearing is this word everyone just thinks it's associated only with property investment. It's actually associated with lots of different types of investment. Yeah, exactly right. And so, and the people who can't haven't got the investment income are the people who haven't got much, and so mm. they can't afford to offset that income because there's no other income there. Yeah. But you know, when you have got you know shares in companies and things like that, you can use that income to offset negative losses in your property. Yeah, so, so it goes back to my argument that the people that are going to be affected the most are actually those that actually need negative gearing in order to be able to buy a quality asset. And instead, they're going to still invest, but they're the ones that are buying crap assets. In episode 43, we interviewed the kook, and he explained Labor's policy intentions. Now, I've been reading his tweets, and he certainly seems in favour of this policy. However, even he has highlighted one of the unintended consequences, and it's exactly what Pete was just saying. It's the opportunity for spruikers. The negative hearing debate's an interesting one. Uh because what Labor's proposing, just to sort of give it a little bit of background, is that they're going to be abolishing negative gearing for established dwellings. So if you're buying an old house uh, somewhere, you cannot negative gear it after they get their legislation through the Senate. Mm. But you can still negative gear a brand new dwelling, so something off the plan or something that's just, just been completed. Mm. So negative gearing isn't going to be uh, abolished completely and it's going to be grandfathered. So if you've got a negatively geared property now, you'll still be able to negative gear it till the day you die sort mm. of thing. So uh, th that's the policy. Now, there's a couple of things that will happen in my view once, or assuming they win and assuming they get through the Senate. Um, and do you think they'll win the election? Well, they're the hot favourites at the moment. The polls have come out and they're all six to eight to ten points in favour of Labor. So who am I to say they won't? Mm. Um, so, look, it looks likely they will. 
and they will, as far as Chris Bowen, the shadow treasurer, has been talking, can continue on this path of put these policies mm. through to the Senate. So they're still probably 18 months away by the time the elections come and they write the legislation and get it right. through the parliament. So it's still a little way away. However, there's probably a couple of things that will happen if they get this change through. Because it's grandfathered, and that means that people who have, an, have a uh, negative geared property will be able to keep it after this law comes into play, there'll probably be a few people trying to rush to buy some properties beforehand. So they've actually got a negative geared property. Mm. Uh, so there'll probably be a little bit of a bring forward of people buying established dwellings in, in the nice suburban areas and all the rest of it. Now, when the rules change, that demand will fall away because everyone who wants a property will have got one mm-hmm. and the tax benefits from buying an established negative get property will no longer be there. Yep. So that market will probably, if not almost certainly, fall away. Mm. Now, what, will, what Labor's also planning by... Uh, by keeping the negative gearing rules open to new dwellings is that one of the issues, and I think you've roughly touched on about supply and demand for housing, yeah, we need to build more houses if we've got this very strong immigration inflow, Mm. is that they want to uh, address the affordability issue by having the supply side addressed. That is build more houses. Yeah, we know that immigration is going to stay pretty high for the next few years. Uh, At the moment, we're getting an extra million people in Australia every three years or so. So in 10 years' time, we're going to have another three, three and a half million people. They've got to live somewhere, so we need to build a lot of houses. Mm. Uh, So the policy to allow negative gearing is that people can still negative gear, but you'll have to buy a brand new dwelling. So I can see it now. I can see after this all comes in, smart property developers, and there are plenty of them around, will probably Mm. say, this is negative gearing eligible. Buy this property, this Mm. brand new off-the-plan whiz-bang apartment, because it's negative gearing uh, it qualifies for negative gearing, and people who still want to use that uh, approach to manage their tax affairs will probably do so. So we're probably going to get a, a rebound in uh, new construction activity in a couple of years' time. So mm. that's the plan. So established dwellings get a bit of a actually get a bit of a boost. Funnily enough, before the yep. rules come into play, then they'll fall away. New dwellings probably will fall away because no one's going to be buying them for the moment, but then they'll get a bit of a boost when they change. So it's really just shuffling the the consumer preference or the investor preference uh, away from established towards new new dwellings, newly built dwellings. Yeah, and, um, you know, from your understanding, is this something that Labor's going to continue with and there are no, no plans to kind of change or...? Not at this stage, no. I I think they're going to go ahead with it. They they see it. There's a couple of reasons. One is the affordability one that I mentioned. The other one is that this tax change uh, gives them – it's it's a revenue measure. (laughs) They're going to be collecting uh, in the first couple of years uh, just a few hundred million, which isn't much in the scheme of a federal budget. But by uh, five years after this thing comes into play, if I remember the numbers correctly, it's something between three and a half and four billion a year in terms of changes to the revenue base. Mm. And that's a lot of money, particularly when they've got as their projects, education, health and those sorts of things. So it's actually a revenue measure as well as a housing affordability measure. Except Mm. that if nobody's buying the non-brand new properties post-legislation in order to invest, they're not going to get any more revenue. No, but it's it's a a tax deduction, but they can't get the... so no, so the existing tax deductions will be there. That's why in the first couple of years there's not much revenue from it because mm. people will still be claiming their tax deductions. But the fact that there are 100,000 properties bought each year currently mm. for negative gearing purposes, assuming the following year there are a big fat zero, <laughs> the tax deductions from high-income earners who inevitably buy, well, mm. usually buy investment properties will be nothing. So it's actually a tax saving. It's a tax offset. It's not that they're actually going to be collecting more tax it's the ability of people to deduct tax is no longer there. Ah, right. So the tax deduction's taken away. According to the kook, Labor are actually banking on the fact that people won't be buying established properties at all for investment. <laughs> Really? That's sort so, of that's the way I, re, I, I that's what I look into what he's just said, and but you know the enormous elephant in the room here is what happens when somebody wants to sell one of the brand new ones they bought for investment, like if Labor are banking on the idea that no one's actually going to buy established for investment, mm. who the hell is going to buy these properties? You know, every time an investor sells, they're hoping that a first home buyer buys them because. 
that's another home ownership. That's going to increase our home ownership rate. But, you know, you haven't got this 3 million investment properties. We haven't got 3 million first home buyers that are ready to go <laughs> to, 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 to cover up the slack. And so, oh um, you know, these areas where, and I, the thing is, is if, if you're a first home buyer right now and that property wasn't in, in an area where there was lots of investors and that property has fallen, let's call it 20, 30%. Have you got the confidence to then go and spend, you know, six, seven hundred thousand dollars to an asset that's just gone and fallen 30, 40%? <laughs> um, you know, and so even though it's cheap, first time buyers are going to say, well, actually, oh, no, I don't really trust this as an investment. I don't think it's a good investment. I don't really want an apartment anyway. Um, and so they're not even going to buy it and they're going to go and want to buy the house. Even if you, you know, prices do fall, doesn't, don't assume that home ownership rates are going to go up in these areas because first time buyers aren't going to be that silly. Yeah, and look, I think we've got evidence that that is likely to happen already, even simply the fact that you've got oversupply in Brisbane and Melbourne, and I think it's coming in Sydney in terms of all these buildings full of two-bedroom apartments that have been losing money even in a boom. And the reason for that is that the first home buyers aren't taking up the slack, as you say. And I think that it's very naive to think that they're going to. And, you know, let's just see how this all plays out. But I think you can all tell that we are certainly not fans of this policy. So for buyers who are actually wanting to invest in property now and are actually ready to do so, I'd encourage you to get in sooner rather than later. Now, Right now, there are some excellent opportunities to get quality property at reduced prices, and it has to be quality. And this is the point, Mm. that you are investing for a long game. You know, so we're not worried about what happens in the immediate future. All the dust will settle from this ridiculous policy if it ever comes about, ultimately. And we are talking a long game. I mean, earlier on, Chris was talking about, you know, really we should be thinking 20, 30, 40 years ahead, depending on your age, of course, in terms of property investment. So. If you're thinking long-term and you are in a position to buy an investment and it was part of your plan, then I would encourage you to actually get in now whilst the opportunity is there. Because if you wait until the last minute, you'll be running the risk of following the herd and buying a poor quality asset and or paying too much because human nature suggests that this will happen. There will be that last minute rush for all the people that suddenly thought, oh, I want to get in before the door shuts on negative mm. gearing. And I think there'll be a little spike in prices. I mean, uh, Stuart Weems is author of Investopoly. He, he wrote a blog on this very recently. In fact, he, his article in The Australian was predicting that prices could rise in 2019. But purely because if this comes about, human nature means they'll all rush in to try to get in before that door shuts. So I would encourage you, if you are thinking about buying investment property, focusing very much on quality, that you do it now, not wait until that happens. Because you've got to remember that buying an investment property just so you can reduce your tax is a terrible idea. On its own, negative gearing is not a good reason to buy a property. It means that you have to lose money to save tax. And at best, for every dollar you lose, you get 47 cents back. And that's just insane unless the property is going up in value. Yeah, I, I understand what Stuart's, um, you know, only buys investment grade property and he's only buys really quality assets. And so he doesn't even think that you should go out and buy an asset that isn't top quality. And so what Stuart's saying there is that, he, you know, in, in his article as well, is he's saying like top quality assets will be things that are already staying really desirable now. You know, if smart investors are looking at them and trying to get in pre the change, will create this like short-term demand, which could push prices up. So the other thing is, is that smart investors, I guess, will think, look, what a top quality asset is, is, is more a home ownership asset. And the whole irony of this policy, and I've said irony so many times because it is, there's so many unintended consequences that are counterproductive or counterintuitive to what we're trying to achieve here. And the thing, what will happen is if we're not investing, we'll say, well, I can't buy another investment property or I can't buy an investment property, so I'm going to upgrade my home and I'm going to buy a better asset. And what it's going to do is funnel everyone into home ownership and then competing and everyone want for home ownership pretty much wants the same thing. And so we're going to create more <laughs> demand for home ownership, which is the last thing we probably want to do um, is make it even harder for people to get into homes. So I think the good assets are in areas where, you know, maybe 80% or 70 to 80% of the properties are, are homeowners. Um, and that's not going to change. And those areas aren't going to be impacted from negative gearing change anyway. And there might be even more demand. And so that's what Stuart's saying there is if you're thinking about buying a top quality asset 
in these high demand, high housing markets, then maybe it's not a bad time to get in for two reasons. One, you will get the negative gearing benefit, but two, you will get the CGT discount which when you do sell the property, you won't have to pay as much capital gains tax. So even if you may be able to get that property in 12 months time, a little bit cheaper, you know, you might be able to get it, you know, if, if the negative gearing change happens, if the Royal Commission kicks off, if the property market even falls another 10%, you might be able to get it cheaper in 12 months time. But if that is, you know, mainly you're not going to be able to get negative gearing, you have to pay more CGT and then you want to sell that property in say 30, 40 years time, yeah. it would be arguable that, you know, it's a better deal to do it then rather than now. So, well, I would say, you know, what are you going to say? 50 grand now and, and the difference will be hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions, you know, in the decades ahead when, yeah, exactly when you actually right. go to realise the gain out of that asset. And that's right. And that's if the market keeps falling and if you can get it for a cheaper price and, you know, if there is a short-term demand for investor stock, you know, investor-grade property, I wouldn't be rushing out and buying poor assets right now. But if you wanted to get good assets, you know, and you buy well and you buy at good prices and you buy top assets long-term, then you're probably going to be okay. I guess that's the final word on this from us. Now, we're going to include links in the show notes for all the episodes that we've referred to throughout this podcast. And also, we'll put that uh, link for Stuart Weems' blog on that as well. He's very much evidence-based. So when he writes something, he's researched it thoroughly and you can have confidence in that. You can also download, we'll, we'll just put loads of stuff there for you. So get on the elephantintheroom.com.au. Uh, we'd love to hear from you as well. So remember to get in touch. Let us know what your biggest aha moment has been from this episode. We really do value all the feedback we get. And if you want us to talk about anything specific, let us know. Tune in for our next episode and we're going to do a deep dive into some of our biggest elephant moments from the first 25 episodes. There have been many revelations, some great learning, and we've tried to crystallise all the best nuggets of info for you so you can devour it in one easy-to-digest episode. The Elephant in the Room Property Podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. This week's podcast was recorded by John Resk, and edited by Gordy Fletcher. And thank you so much for joining us and letting us your eardrums throughout 2018. We've absolutely enjoyed bringing everything to you. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for your messages. Thank you for your reviews. And we're looking forward to more and better in 2019. And I second that. It's been an amazing year and we do appreciate every single one of our listeners for supporting us. And we can't wait to bring you some even better content in 2019. And a happy new year. Happy new year. Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.